I'm Wayne Rubin, and I want to welcome you to the podcast, Hard Yards in Leadership, where we explore the tough leadership challenges experienced by successful leaders along their journey. I hope hearing their stories will help you predict, prepare, and survive the inevitable challenges you will face on your leadership journey. Let's get into it. G'day, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Hard Yards in Leadership. I'm Wayne Rubin, your host. Well, today I'm super excited because we've got a little bit of a bonus episode for you. One of my favorite guests of all time is joining us for an extra little chat, which is going to precede an interview that I did with her a little while ago. Ali Flynn, who is the most extraordinary person and talk about someone who has overcome hard yards in her life and achieved amazing things. You are going to love listening to Ali. But let me tell you a little secret. I actually recorded my interview with Ali quite some months ago. And since then, she and I have been talking a lot about different sorts of opportunities in taking our respective crafts and creating things that uh, are going to be interesting and useful for people. And Ali, we've been working now on a particular event for probably three or four months. And I think we're ready to tell people about the High Performance Leadership Summit. You want to tell about it? I am so excited. This is like the pinnacle of events. It is, you and I sat down and we're like, forget everything, let go of resources, time, money, everything. What would we truly want to do that could move the dial for our fellow workers? And it was this, it's the High Performance Leadership Summit where we bring the best of the best. We bring experts in high performance from multiple disciplines, sport, military, business, psychology, into the room for three days for an immersive and transformative experience. I cannot tell you, Wayne, how excited I am. All the hard work, it is all coming together, and this is going to be one of those rare once-in-a-lifetime opportunities for twin leaders. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, Ali, and, and I share your excitement. Yeah, folks out there, Ali and I started this with a blank page, and we said, imagine if we could create the ultimate event for people in the world of business to not just learn about high performance as some sort of like conceptual thing, but actually find a way to help them assimilate those learns to take them back into the real world of business and 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 walk away. You know, transformative is a big word, but it has a place. And as Ali and I both compared our experiences, we recognize that the pursuit of high performance, which a lot of people get quite entranced by, and I was certainly one of those people, it's not something you necessarily learn about in the business world. So we went out and we said, how could we get extraordinary people from the world of elite sport? And we went for solo performance and also team performance. We wanted to get someone from the military where they train at a completely different level than what we do in in business. We wanted um, counselling and psychologists to help us assimilate those sorts of things and also a few of us from the business world to make sure that we were able to kind of ensure that the learnings landed in a business space. And with that as our brief, we have crafted this event. It takes place March 8, 9, and 10. It's going to be just outside of Brisbane. And I'm just going to touch on a couple of the speakers who are going to be there. And I say speakers, but because as Ali said, it's not just come along to this. There's only 25 people in the room. That's it. This will sell out. We're not having more people because we want this to be something where you can hear from a speaker, but then sit down and talk to them about it and talk amongst people who have similar sorts of experience, similar sorts of sorts of day-to-day lives about how we assimilate these learns into the business world. 
That's a really unique experience, but we needed to put the absolute right people at the front of the room. From the elite solo sport, we got Ali. Sammy Kennedy Sim, who is three times Australian Olympian. She is phenomenal. She has been in that space at the top in high performance for over 12 years, but you wait till you hear her story. The challenges and adversity that that woman has faced in her life and still managed to stay at the top. Like I spent an hour with her, oh, I need you for a couple of days and and she's coming. She's coming to the High Performance Summit. I'm so excited about her. So Sammy's going to be amazing. And then from a team perspective, we really wanted someone who could speak about team performance, not just at an elite level, but at the total pressure cooker level. And we have someone extraordinarily special for that, right? Yes. Dave Ballard, he's the head of performance at the Brisbane Broncos. So for anyone that missed the grand final last year, go back and watch that game because it was inspiring. They went from near bottom of the table to grand final and how you navigate that culture and how you get high performance week in and week out. I mean, so many questions for David. It will be so good to hear from him. So, folks, if you're sounding, if this is starting to sound like something pretty special, we can add in then um, Clifford Morgan, who is an ex-military guy who was in the RAAF as both a serviceman and also a trainer and psychologist. And then Ali, because you are awesome as an extraordinary facilitator and counsellor and understanding of like how our minds work and how our hearts work and all of this sort of stuff. And then there's myself and one of my uh, colleagues, Pearl Lim, two folks with a lot of senior experience in the, in the business world in multinationals and, and all of that to help take these learns and make sure that they land in those spaces that are going to be most meaningful to us. So, folks, if you find what you're hearing at this moment pretty interesting, please check out in the show notes. There will be a link. Click the link. If you'd like to have a chat, we're happy to talk one-on-one with you. We'd love to see you there. It's going to be amazing. And, Wayne, you, you forgot to mention it's not just the speakers, right? It's not just who we've, the six people we've brought in. Imagine what it's like to have 25 of your peers in the room and what you can gain from being in that space and in that environment plus the six people that we're pulling into the room for three days. And with that, I am now going to transition over because, Ali, I am going to ask you a whole bunch of questions about your life and your career as we explore your hard yards in leadership. Let's go. I'm thrilled to say Welcome, Ali. Thanks, Wayne. It's an honour to be here today, having this morning with you. <laughs> well, a special thanks as well, because uh, we've uh, we've managed to do this recording from a greater distance than usual. I'm uh, in Thailand at the moment as, as we speak, and I've been so looking forward to talking to you and having you share a little bit of your experience and your journey with our listeners. Thank you. So, Ali, let's jump right on in. I'm going to ask you, first of all, just to share a little bit of your broader journey with listeners so they kind of get a bit of a sense of how you've kind of come into the business world. And then we'll talk about some of the challenges that you've had because there's some real hard yards in your journey, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, business was something, as you'll hear, that I didn't start out thinking that I would own businesses, a business, let alone multiple businesses along the way. So my background was actually in psychology and law. I did an undergrad in psych law and then went and worked as a clinical therapist uh, with kids that were homeless or at risk of homelessness for you know anywhere between eight to ten years and really loved that I loved what I did and 
ended up falling pregnant. I was very fortunate to fall pregnant, which meant that I needed to step away for a little while. And I wasn't sure what it would look like, but I just knew that I didn't have the capacity at that point in time to be a a therapist and to be available to my um, clients that were in the room. And end up having three kids in three and a half years. <laughs> so I never went back. I got an opportunity. I was training at a gym and they asked if I had ever considered doing my personal training. And I was like, uh, no, they said you'd, be, you'd make a great personal trainer. And at that time I had one little baby on the ground and I was pregnant with my next. And I thought, oh, this might be a really nice way that I can still help people um, without being in that heavy clinical setting. And so I did my cert three and four in personal training. And then another gym locally uh, had a conversation with me about if I was prepared to come and open a business, they would give me the access to the whole gym, all the clients and a room for free. How good? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I had never considered opening a business ever. I don't come from a family of business owners. I'd had very little experience in it. I did, I think, one commerce subject at school, but that was it. And yeah, I reached out to a friend that was really savvy in business and just had a conversation with him. And he said, look, this is really high risk, low reward. You don't really have a lot to lose. What else are you going to do at the moment? And I was like, that's that's a really good question. And so I started. I started my own little fitness business in this gym and and six weeks later I ended up having a stroke when I was 30, which we'll go into. So again, I stepped away. I was quite sick for a long time and then came back in and and post-stroke is where I really grew passionate about business and I ended up growing three companies and an international podcast to where I am today. Which is quite an extraordinary achievement for someone who didn't have some health challenge, let alone a health challenge of the size that that you did. And um, how many children? I have three. I had three in three and a half years. <laughs> and my husband worked cool as well. He worked in the hospital. Um, yeah, it was, it was very busy there for a little while. Uh, what I have learned is how much I love growth and challenge and uncertainty though, which I think sometimes is the ingredients to be able to own and and really grow businesses. Let's get into some of your hard yards, you know, because there's a lot there that you've just talked about and I, and I know that there's, there's more to come. But most of us, when we think about early days of having our own business, it's full on devotion. You have to be there all of the time. It's, it's, we live it, eat it, breathe it, sleep it, all of those sorts of things. When you have something come that hits you like a health challenge like that, how do you make it all keep hanging together somehow? Mm, it's a really good question. And I think we'll be talking about when it's you with the health challenge versus when you're in the carer's role, because I've actually had both experiences. And I was quite lucky, unlucky, whatever, <laughs> however you want to call it, when I had my stroke that my my business was in its early stages and I didn't have a lot of overhead. So, you know, in that moment in time that you first start out with a hobby or a passion and and you kind of haven't gotten to the place where you uh, have this huge rent and, you know, all these expenses over your head. Uh, so, as I mentioned, the gym had said I could come in and use it for free. So, when I had my stroke at that point in time, my only overheads was my time. So, when I got sick, I was able to stop my business suddenly and then pick it back up six months later with two clients, by the way. When I say pick it back up, it was very small. But I did, in the six weeks I had opened, my experience is what you just spoke about. 
I was busy. You know, I hit the ground running. I had more clients than I could handle. I was working seven days a week. You know, I had no systems or structures in place and no framework to prioritizing and acknowledging my own personal time. So it was just like, whatever I can do, great. Oh, there's another client. Let's fit them in somewhere. Where's the space on my diary? Oh, here's another client. Like, let's pop them in. And I don't even think back then I had specific prices set. Like it was just, oh, yep. How many sessions would you like for, you know, let's do, there was no packaging. There was nothing like that. I knew nothing about business. I just hit the ground. I loved what I did. I loved working with people and I was available 24 seven. And that was one of the biggest lessons that I took away from my stroke was that when I start again, what is really important to me and how will I do this differently? And that was when I decided I wasn't going to work weekends or after hours in what that looked like for our family. Just to give some context, when I had my stroke, I lost my ability to read and write, stand on one leg. I lost my short-term memory. So I had signs on my front door that said, please don't go out. You have three children in the house. And I, yeah. and I also lost my vision in both eyes in the top quadrant. So I was quite unwell for a long period of time. But part of my recovery was that building a business. And the reason why that became important was because I had got a small taste and I was like, this, I'm passionate about this. Like not only am I passionate about helping the people that I'm working with, but I'm actually really interested and curious about how business works. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure listeners at this stage are sitting sitting thinking as I am, like the, the challenge of seeking to be a personal trainer whilst battling through the recovery phase of something that's as impactful on so many of your senses and your ability to, to physically perform and whatever else, you know, that's, that's one thing in itself. While you're also trying to continue to raise three children and, and, and be a parent and like that whole side of yourself, the question that comes to me is where did you continue to find the strength to push through with all of this, Ali? Because so many people would just go too hard. I'm like, I don't need a business. I just need to focus on life. I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, whether that be my physios, the doctors, my husband, my girlfriends. And one thing that I started to realize was my passion for growth and challenge. Like I didn't know that before I had my stroke, but through really sitting back and reflecting on my life and thinking about what drives me, it's really that creating something new in an environment that, that is uncertain whilst helping and working with other people. So that was how the idea started to come back. I was like, well, that business I started kind of fits that mold. So from there it was like, all right, if I'm going to go back into business, where do I start? Like zero to one is always the hardest, I think, because you've got to have the courage to step up to the plate and have a go. You've got to believe in yourself enough to put yourself in that vulnerable position and then you've got to do the you got to do the work right you can have you can believe and have the courage but at the end of the day you still got to do the grunt work and that's where it really came back to well what's one thing i can do today that's going to get me one step closer to my goal just one step one bite-sized piece and this is consistent within all the challenges i've had as we'll bring this up as we go through this chat but i always bring it back to that if i'm going to help just one person is it a yes from me? And it usually is. And what's the one thing I can do today? Just one thing yeah. and just biting off that really small piece. Yeah. 
And that's, I just want to kind of take that as a call out to listeners because I think so many of us that are dealing with challenges that are nothing like the sort of challenges that you're describing at the time, we, we feel overwhelmed. And when you feel overwhelmed, sometimes, sometimes it's hard to get traction with anything. And what you've just described as kind of starting each day with what's that one thing that I can do today that, that is going to move, move things forward. In your instance, you're talking about personal growth. What's that one thing that I can do? There's always one thing that you can do, right? And, and celebrating the successes of those and taking those steps along the way, I think is extraordinarily powerful. So let's go back into your journey because we got to, we got to you with your personal training business and you know dealing with the stroke and getting that back up again. But I know that there's a lot more to the journey. So let's 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 share a little more to the list with the listeners. Yeah. So when I started back at business, I I started rolling and I I had I think I had about a hundred clients and I'd also been working out of a, um, one of the school gyms as well as the local gym in town. And I started to notice that there was quite a few things that I didn't know enough about <laughs> bookkeeping, uh, how to manage staff. I'd brought on my first staff member, how to set up better systems, how to work out what I was going to charge. And so I went on a mission to try and find a business coach. I didn't even really know they existed at that point in time, but I was like, there's a coach for everything else. There's, a, you know, <laughs> so there must be this thing that's called a business coach. And I asked around and it took me over 12 months to find someone to work with. Um, most people just said to me pretty consistently, you're killing it. Why would you need a coach? It was a really common kind of throwback I got. And maybe that was because of the stroke, maybe because that was, you know, I was doing well in a local town and I had 100 clients, but I, I wasn't doing it very efficiently. So I was using a lot of energy to serve those 100 clients. And my business coach ended up being, when someone mentioned his name, I was like, huh, that was my old boss. When I first came to uni in first year, he ran a sandwich shop locally. He's not here now. He's in Melbourne, which is like we're, we're up in northern New South Wales in Australia and he's down in Melbourne. So long way away and I hadn't seen him for, for decades. And I was like, oh, I'll give him a call and have a chat. And then I worked with him pretty solidly for two and a half years. And that was the best gift I was given because he helped me, A, believe in myself, B, have strategy behind what I was doing, C, put in systems and processes, and also gave me some really good tools on how to manage adversity or how to manage problems. Like business is problem solving. Yes. And the more I grow different businesses, the more I experience different businesses, the more I work. Now I do a lot of exec coaching. You know, at the end of the day, it's how well do we solve problems and what's that inner story and that inner chat inside our heads. And one of my mantras is there's no problem we can't solve. From there, one of the other adversities that came into place that might be relevant here is my daughter developed a kidney disease. And what that meant for me in business was when she got sick, which we only happened maybe once or twice a year, probably every nine months, she would get sick overnight and she could gain anywhere between 10 and 14 kilos of fluid. And then once we got the medicine on board, we would have to fly to Sydney, which is five hours away and spend anywhere between one to three weeks in Sydney with her having infusions to, to help get her better. That was the treatment she needed. But with my business at that point in time, it meant that I could just be plucked out of business straight away overnight to go for anywhere between one and three weeks. And that changed how I viewed business. 
it made me realize that my I didn't have a lot of resilience. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of foundation that I could fall back on. Um, so I started to ask better questions, you know. I started to say, if we're going to move forwards with this, what would it look like without me in the picture? Or what else can we put in place to make this project a little bit more resilient? Or how are we going to serve our clients if one of our staff or me is taken out of the picture quickly and suddenly for anywhere, any period of time, short-term, long-term and that actually prepared us very well for COVID. I hadn't realised, but, you know, we were so much more prepared because we'd been planning for what happens if someone's not there or something changes suddenly. And then I guess the other part that's really relevant, and then we can go into some detail on how we did it, but uh, two years ago, I got diagnosed with a chronic illness. But what that looked like in my business at that time was overnight, I started to get sick And then I spent 11 months having medical test after medical test after medical test. And they thought there were a lot of different diagnoses that they threw at me. And a lot of them not only changed the quality of life, but definitely changed the quantity of life. So I didn't know if I was going to be around, but I was leading from my bed. And what I mean by that is I couldn't stand up. I have this thing called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So when I sit or stand, my heart rate shoots up to anywhere over 160 or 180 and I get physically sick, can faint. So I wasn't able to sit or stand for a really long period of time whilst they were working out what was wrong with me. And at that point in time, I had a team of 23 and I'd grown the three companies and there was a lot of doubt and a lot of fear and a lot of unknown at that point in time, which is where I was able to really pull on some of those strategies that I started to learn from when I had my stroke. So I'm digesting three businesses, 23 people, a daughter with such a challenging illness and, and you know, situation that throws you into, and then you get dealt that card. And you know, my question again comes, okay, so how do you try and put order around all of that, Ali? Like as you look back and go, like you were dealing with an extraordinary amount as a parent and as a self, and you're also trying to be a leader of a business that people are dependent upon in that space too. How do you put order to all of that? (sighs) This is what I've been reflecting on for the last uh, (laughs) couple of weeks since you asked me to come on the podcast. And it's been great because it's allowed me to take a moment to reflect on, you know, what were the challenges and and what were the lessons and how, like you said, how did we create structure in chaos? And there's a few things that come to mind. One is you've got to do the groundwork. And I relate it to teenagers and toddlers. I know that's not business, but you know, often we get to teenage years as parents and we think, oh, now we need to start disciplining and now we need to be having conversations about partying and drugs and alcohol and, you know, curfews and things like that. But really when we look at it and stand back and take a bird's eye view, what we did in the toddler years sets us up for success in the teenage years and business is the same. The groundwork Mm -hmm. and that foundational work that you do on a daily Mm -hmm. basis and in operations really sets you up for when adversity hits or when you need to pivot or when something happens like, One of your leaders is taken out due to illness. And I think, I don't know the stats, but it's something like over 60% of people will experience a chronic illness in their lifetime. So if everyone listening doesn't experience it personally, I'm pretty sure someone within their inner circle will experience it, which will put them in a carer's role. So this conversation is really relevant for anyone in business. So with the structure, that's where systems come into play. So when I think about business, you've got the system side and you've got the people side. And systems, 
are really good to fall back on in, in when things go a bit haywire or when you need to bring someone into the business to be able to say, this is how we run things. But the systems are only as good as the person that's working it um, at the end of the day. And so then there's also, well, who have we got on our team and how are we going to keep leading them through this? Or what does my team need from me at this time? And I think that that I wrote down, it might be helpful, I wrote down five things that I did and it might be helpful to go into that. Is that Would that be helpful, Wayne? Please share. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first thing that I needed to do was change my mindset and get on, get on the right game. And what I mean by that is when one of these adversities have hit, I had to say, okay, well, we were tracking to go north and to scale. Uh, one of my companies is a national company. We work all across Australia and that was a business that we were looking at scaling continuing to scale. So when when I got sick a couple of years ago, we had to come back to the drawing board and say, yes, we were looking at going this way, but now the information's changed. We might have thought that we were playing netball and now we're playing hockey. So what what do I need to know? Like let's get a lay of the land. Let's do an assessment piece. Yes, we might be emotionally attached to where we're going, but we <laughs> it doesn't serve us anymore. And In that piece around that mindset, it's also important to acknowledge that what's really hard today is going to be a lesson tomorrow. And that's a little mantra I have in those moments because it can feel a little overwhelming and it can feel like you said earlier on, you don't know where to start. And I just remind myself that no matter how hard it is today, it's going to be in my rear vision mirror later. And I'm going to be talking about it and I'm going to be using the lessons that I've learned to help propel me forwards in the future. So mindset, definitely, it's like how do I need to change the lens that I view this problem through and what is the actual problem at hand? So if your leader is taken out of the picture, what is the actual problem? Is it the staff don't know what they need to do? Is it the vision changes because I'm not often that doesn't but sometimes it needs to? Is it that you 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 had this new project on the go and now it's going to be halted instead of having that momentum. Like what is the actual problem here and what is the outcome that we want out of this? I'm sure some of your guests have talked about what success is and what it means to each individual. It's a really good question to ask in this space as well. What does success now look like for me and does it change our long-term vision or is it just changing our short-term? Yeah. Do we just need to realign for the sprint that we're in right now, the next 60 days, the next 90 days, the next three months, or are we looking at changing the next year, three years, the strategy of the business? So that's the first one. It's really like get your mindset in the game and work out what lens you need to be looking at this from, and that may be different to what you knew yesterday. There's new information. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and how does that change? How does that change how you consider the scenario? The second one is to manage your to-do list and you've got to get really ruthless with this like take stock and say what are all the things that I need to do but what's also important now Um, what are the priorities and one of the tools that I use that my coach uh, taught me way back in the early days was it's called impact and ease and it's where you write out a list of what you want to do and you have a look at what impact will that have for the business, for you, for the clients, and how easy is that to achieve? And you put numbers next to it, which means yep. it's easier to manage. And, and then you can graph and plot that out. So anyone that hasn't heard of Impact and Ease, you should jump on Google and, and look it up. There'll be heaps of YouTube videos on how to do it. But that's one of the most critical strategies I got or tools that I got real in the early days that has really helped me here because I'm like, okay, where are our quick wins? 
What's still really important? What am I going to let go of? And is there someone else that can be doing some of this for me? The other thing that I've used, um, and the audience may not have heard of this before, is the teaspoon theory. And I wish I knew who, who was the founder of this. I don't know. But if I have 16 teaspoons a day, how am I going to use them? And what does it mean if I use 18 instead of 16? Does that mean that tomorrow looks different? Or the So with that, if you're dealing with medical issues or a chronic illness yourself, you might have the capacity to do anything, but at what cost? Yeah. So for me to go into a board meeting, a two-hour board meeting, might only use two teaspoons, but for someone else it might use six. I'm a really big picture person and I, I, I tend to gain energy from being in the big picture strategic space. I tend to lose energy and find that I'm kind of in the weeds when I'm doing operational and detail stuff. So for me to go and like fill out a spreadsheet might use six teaspoons <laughs> and, and just applying that teaspoon theory to your company. You know, what's, nice. what's the best use of my time right now? If I've only got very limited resources, whether that be your energy, time, capacity, where am I going to spend those 16 teaspoons? And the other, be- I got this, my mum ended up, God, there's so many stories and I realise I- <laughs> everyone's going to be going, oh, you know, she's got so many stories, but I do. My mum also during this time um, got diagnosed with cancer and I got the best bit of advice that I've applied in business and that was give it energy when it needs energy and try not to give it energy when it doesn't. And that is how I'd use it in business as well. So if you're hanging on and you're finding that you're waking up in the middle of the night, thinking about your company, thinking about your staff, you're using up those teaspoons and you're using up your energy. And the question might be, is this the right time to be doing this? Or is there a better time um, for this? And so even if that means writing in your diary, 9am tomorrow is my thinking time. And then when you wake up in the middle of the night, it's like, that's okay. I can address you tomorrow at 9 a.m. Like you have the space in your diary to give those thoughts and those concerns the time that they deserve, but not let them creep in throughout the other aspects of your life, whether that be sleep, family time, if you're in a medical appointment and you start thinking about business. That was a really good, a really good one liner that I got given really early on um, that has helped me through all of this adversity. Which is wonderful advice. And I guess, you know, something that, I, that I've struggled with as well is hearing the advice and then not living it. But I guess what, what I'm hearing when I listen to you, you know, sharing, sharing your stories is when the amount of adversity is so much greater and the impact of that adversity is so much greater, you actually become more disciplined at literally taking notice of the advice, not just having it being a post-it note stuck on the desk somewhere. And, you know, that give it energy when it needs energy is, I mean, that's really powerful, but you just have to do it, right? I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like we get these strategies and tools and sometimes we hear them and we think they're fabulous, but they're not relevant to us right now. Yep. Or we don't integrate them in when we hear them. I always try when someone teaches me a tool or a strategy to be like, oh, how am I going to use that this week? Yeah. 
Or how do I bring that into my world right now so that I can revisit over the next couple of weeks so that I can really make sure that's solid in my toolbox to be able to pull on at times that I need it. And that's all. It, that's really when these things hit. It's like, what did I learn from my coach? I've now had a number of coaches. What have I learned from past experience? What have I got in that toolbox that I can pull on right now that might serve me or help me or move the dial on the concerns that I have right now or the results that I need in business? Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about mindset and you talked about managing the to-do list. Mm. What was next on that list? Staff. <laughs> you know, like I said, I, when, when I got sick the other year, I had 23 staff. And if I'm being really honest, one of my greatest fears was, what if I don't get better? What if this is the end of the road, whether that be with life or in business? You know, I was pretty crook and I was like, what happens to the 23 people that I've got working with me? What does that mean for them? What will they do? Where will they go? What do, how much do I tell them about how concerned I am and where I'm up to in the diagnosis process? Because, you know, there were lots of, for example, I think I ended up having four or five MRIs within a two-year period. But each time they go in and, and, and do this, they're throwing another condition at you and that condition comes with its whole set of, I call them fears, but like, you know, it might be that you're going to be in a wheelchair or it might be that you um, have cancer or it might be that you have MS or that you're not going to be able to have clarity in your thinking. You'll have that brain frog all the time. So how much of that information do we tell our team? And I'll also talk about communication with your clients as well and in all the stakeholders. But with the team... I think it's really important to provide certainty in uncertain environments and that certainty may be we don't know what's happening here but here are the three things we're doing about it because your team often look up to you for that direction piece and so that was really important when I was sick to be like what does the team need me for if I'm stepping away from the business and I can't be in that everyday operational space and I don't have a physical presence in the office, what is it that the team need from me? And we had some really good, healthy, robust conversations around that and they said, how about we hold the fort and deal with the clients but how do we contact you if we have questions? How do we contact you if we have concerns? And so I said to all my team, and and every leader will do this differently, I said, you can call me anytime throughout the day and you you know me well enough to know that I won't answer if I can't answer and I'll get back to you when I can. But as my team, I want you to know that you can reach out to me, but I don't want clients reaching out to me. So that was my line in the sand. I said, so how do we manage that? What do we put in place around that? How do my team feel about that? Mm-hmm. I can tell them that they can reach out to me, but they were like, oh, some of them said, we don't feel like we could because we don't want to interrupt if you're sleeping or you're in a medical appointment. And that's where I spoke about that toddler theory. You have to rely on the trust that you built and the communication that you built going in. Yeah. Adversity can hit in a second or overnight or in a week or in a month, but it's not in in that moment you can make changes, but you rely on what you've already put in place and that's where that foundation is so important. So I always think about the three T's with the team. It's trust, training, and tracking. And so have I got credit in the trust bank? Like, have I done the work with my team that I trust them and they trust me? And what does that word trust mean to us? Have we got systems in place that we can trust? And if not, why not? Or how do we change that? 
and how do we create certainty? That's kind of when I think about the trust, it's, that's where I pull on what we've been working on for so many years building into that moment. Yeah. With yeah. the training, it's do they have what they need to do the job? Do they have the resources? Do they have the knowledge? Do they have the skill? How do I set my team up for success? And sometimes it's a simple question of like, guys, I don't know how long I'm going to be out. What do you need from me? Like if I'm not here for the next week, what do you need from me now that's going to help you be successful over this next Mm -hmm. week? Mm -hmm. And allow them to think about that. And if they know that question's coming, then they'll already be processing it. Arles is going to ask me what I need from her. What do I need? Yeah. And I think, you know, as I kind of reflect on some of the things you're sharing here, you know, the the trust piece is extraordinarily powerful, right? Because if you don't have trust in the first place and you're dealing with a situation and you're also trying to work out what do I communicate, you know, you know that I I can't say nothing because that doesn't make any sense at all. I can't say everything's going to be fine in seven days' time because you have no knowledge of that. So you're choosing what what you share. You have to share something. If you don't have that foundation of trust, people are always going to be second-guessing what's going on, which I guess gets back to your toddler theory, which is if you haven't put the things in place to build a relationship of trust across the organisation, then when something unexpected and huge hits, everything falls apart, right? The cracks get bigger, right? Exactly. And it's the same with the processes. You talked about systems and processes a little while ago, and and, you've mentioned it again a few times in, in, in the last few minutes. And a lot of our listeners in in founder roles and different sorts of leadership roles haven't necessarily put the work into formalizing, documenting some of the systems and processes. But again, it's those systems and processes that allow the wheels to keep turning when you take, in this instance, yourself as the leader, which is the most critical person in the organization, but equally others in the organization as well. You know, you're saying the frightening statistics about, you know, what proportion of us will will have something, you know, significant happen to us at some stage in our lives that that you know we're not planning, but suddenly takes us out. And the responsibility of the leader is always to do things that ensure the viability of the organisation, both for us, but also for the sustained employment of the people who are part of the business. And if we're doing something good for the for the good that we're putting out there that serves our clients, and I guess. You know what I'm just reflecting as I'm listening to you speaking here is just what powerful lessons you're sharing between the trust piece and the systems and processes. Those are the foundation that allows the business to continue when these sorts of things happen. And you're living, breathing proof of that, right? Three businesses and the amount of things that you were dealing with. And I was thinking then as you said that, if you're listening right now and you're like, oh, I don't have any systems and processes in place. We've all been there. And you often don't realize it until something hits or until something vibrates or until there's a concern and you think, oh, I don't actually have anything in place for that or I don't feel like I can step away because how are they going to know what they're going to do? And that's okay. We didn't build them overnight. My systems and processes, there was there was one stage there I brought a girl in just to do that, you know, just to go through all of our systems and processes with a fine toothpick comb and create ones that we were missing, to look over the ones that we had. And I at the I remember thinking back then, oh, oh I'm done, great. And it was like three months later, I was like, uh-huh, and that one needs to change now. And this one needs to change now. So you're never done. You're never done in that space. But just set up one system at a time or one process. Just start with one. 
and know that when you set that up, it will need to be changed. It will need to be adjusted. But once you've got one, then you can move to the next one and you can always ask for help. Sometimes in those early stages, we don't have the finances is often one of the challenges. Finances, all the wisdom, I think, of how beneficial it can be to bring someone in to help us with the things that perhaps we're not great at or we don't have time for. Yeah. And I think the starting with one with the systems is a, is a great approach. And and also, like you say, you know, because people freak out sometimes and I, I do coaching, my, executive coaching myself, and, and this comes up a lot and people say, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so far behind in kind of putting systems and processes down. And it's like, well, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And whenever you have these realizations of things that you need to build into, into your business, don't wait for the ideal moment. You know, it's, it's start now. And the best people to document processes are the people who are doing the work now. And if everything's been passed through word of mouth, just saying, okay, we're going to have, we're going to have a drive over the next three months and we're going to try and document a lot of the things we do. It doesn't have to be in some perfect flow chart. It doesn't have to be on some particular computer program that it takes a special course to go and learn to use. Just documenting some of the processes is incredibly powerful as the insurance policy for when something goes wrong, right? And when, you, like, I see that so often as well, it's like it does need to be perfect and it definitely doesn't. <laughs> you know, it, it's one thing that I've learned working with multiple businesses from startups through to large corporates is the systems vary and change and some are done well and some aren't, but the ones that are done well are only done well for that moment in time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like you said, just just starting and, and having that, you know, like I said, that courage to start. Because it's very easy to say there's too much to do. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. So, Ali, just listening to you talking about the role of trust in the team and just how critical it is that we kind of have that foundation of trust. I know so often when we talk about the concept of trust, the other word that comes in is this is the concept of vulnerability. And I'm fascinated to hear your views on, on vulnerability as a leader, given the experiences that you've had. Mm. And it ties in beautifully because I wrote down the words in big letters when I thought about this interview, vulnerability versus being professional, because that's what I struggled with through all of this adversity is how do I show vulnerability to my team and my clients and all the stakeholders, whether that be my shareholders, my board members, the community, how my prospects, how do I sit in the space of I'm not great at the moment and I don't know what the future holds and I don't have all the answers right now whilst being professional. I got this. This is what we're going to do. This is how it's, you know, meaningful for you and this is how I'm going to bring value to the table. So it's one of the things that I have battled with and I'm definitely still working on and it still creeps up on a daily, weekly, monthly basis is that vulnerability versus professionalism and I guess at the heart of it, it's knowing yourself and asking the questions around your own vulnerability. Like what is it about this that I'm feeling vulnerable with? Is this vulnerability because my story inside my head has gotten really big and my inner critic is really high and I'm saying things to myself like, you're no good, you're lazy. And this is what I say to myself. So when I say you're, this is, this is my inner critic. It tells me I'm lazy and it tells me that I, I don't have it and I'm, I'm not good at it and, you know, people are going to judge me and 
you know, is that the reason why I'm feeling vulnerable? Am I feeling vulnerable because of the finances? Am I feeling vulnerable because, you know, I know when COVID hit, my business has been doing so well, I'd hit the play button on scaling and I was spending to scale. And then COVID hit and I was like, well, there's not a lot of cash in the bank. What am I going to do? And so then I felt vulnerable because I was like, A, firstly, how am I going to pay my team? Because I want them still on board. And what if we don't have the work? I mean, every business owner will, will probably have something that happened for them in that 24 hours, yeah. as in what's going what's gonna to be next and what, what's the biggest problem right now? <laughs> there might be 15 problems on the table. What's the biggest one that, that I'm concerned about right now? And so with that vulnerability, that will tie into one of those points that I was saying is it comes back to communication. How much am I comfortable sharing? What is relevant and valuable to the person that's receiving the information? And there can kind of be a dance between the two. There's been moments in time where I've needed to share for me. For example, with my short-term memory loss, when I meet someone new, like a new client, I may not remember them. So I share that information so that they know that they're still important in my world and that I have Mm -hmm. all these strategies in place to help me remember, but I need them to, when they walk into the room, say, hi, I'm Kate. Or, hi, I'm John. Mm. So that's where I've shared with them. But an example of where it might be in regards to them is when I got sick, I was able to talk to my team about, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what the future holds. But what I do know right now is that I love the work that I do and I'm going to do everything I can to get back to it. And I can be really honest and transparent with you guys around that. Mm -hmm. And here's what we're going to do. Are you guys comfortable if we continue on the road that we were on but focus more on just getting the operations done in the everyday and go into a maintenance phase as opposed to a growth? Can we pull it back? And is that something that you're all comfortable without me in the picture? But letting them know that I didn't have all the answers. My team are very used to that though. I say I say that quite, you know, off the cuff, but they're used to me saying, I don't know, <laughs> let's put it to the table. Like let's have a conversation about that. Sometimes I think I have a great idea or a great answer and my team shoot it down so quickly and I'm like, oh, yeah, actually that's not so great. <laughs> <laughs> but, Ellen, you know, as we you know, move to, to a close here, i got to say the, the sharing of your story I think is extraordinarily powerful for people, not just to hear your story. And I have to say you're an amazing human being and and, and I feel incredibly privileged to have the opportunity to be, be speaking with you and getting to know you. Your story is in, incredibly inspiring. But it also gives us so many just really powerful reminders and lessons. And the vulnerability piece, which goes with a lot of reflections on self, a lot of reflections on how willing we are to delegate and how willing, how trusting we are of, of folks. You know, delegation is a wonderful concept, but, you know, we often don't delegate because we don't necessarily have the confidence in, in the ability of people to step up. And what you've, part of what you've shared with us is people often can step up when they have to. And in your situation, it just had to be. Otherwise, there was no, there was no future for the, for the business and people have stepped up. But it still goes back to the toddler piece. You know, if you hadn't put the things in place in the foundational phase, then you wouldn't have these stories to tell. And I think there's just such powerful lessons for all of our listeners in what you've shared today. You know, sometimes we fear delegating that piece out, you know, will people be able to do it? Remember, not everyone's going to do it your way. And when we can understand that people will do it differently, but go further than that, when we can appreciate 
that they'll do it differently is where the gold is and and that's something that I've learned through definitely through the last 10 years is that appreciation piece and and if you're really clear on what the success measures are then how someone gets there sometimes you need to just let go of that and be like we're clear on where we're going you do it yeah. your way and do it the way that you shine yeah this has just been the most amazing interview for me to be a part of and on behalf of our listeners, I'm, I just want to say a huge thank you to you. You've, you've shared really powerful lessons and you're an inspiration for us all. Thank you so much. It's been such an honour to be on here today. It felt like five minutes. It did, didn't it? Yes. It felt that way for me too. So, Ali, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another incredible episode where successful leaders share their hardest yards. If you enjoyed it, Don't forget to let people know by sharing the episode around and rating and reviewing the podcast on the platform you listen on. Feel free to join our online community on LinkedIn. You can find the link in our show notes. I look forward to seeing you next week. Meanwhile, keep learning, find the joy in what you do and keep believing in yourself as a leader.